Thank you very much for coming here to the launch this evening. I believe this is a you are here for a unique uh, event because you've never had a book launch before, not for the Afrikaans version. No, no, I was, I was unrecognizably not on. <laughs> no, it is on, is it? I published the first book, the first book was published under a pseudonym, so of course I was, uh, I couldn't, I could oh, I, I couldn't be here. So um, this is the first occasion that I had to launch a book. <laughs> Well, I, I did ask you to wear brown paper bag. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I'm going to introduce you, uh, let you introduce yourself. But first of all, you told me the other day that, which I never knew, you were born on the rubbish heap. <laughs> well, very much almost. And you know, one, one doesn't ask uh, too many questions of your mother when she tells you that she did not know she was pregnant. <laughs> now, that was her third child. I was her fourth child. And, uh, you know, that sort of details you don't ask your mother what you draw. But <clears throat> the house doctor referred it to a doctor in Pretoria. And lo and behold, he said, you're going to give birth to a child. Now, imagine, imagine <laughs> If she didn't go to Victoria, I might well have been born on, on an airship, yes. <laughs> and, and you were the fourth. Oh, so she didn't know that you, she was pregnant with the her fourth child. Oh, this, is, this is the fascinating thing because uh, she, she, she should have known at that stage when she's pregnant, she didn't. Well, just, just tell us a bit about yourself and uh, when were you born and where? Well, um, it was 1938, <coughs> the year before the Second World War started. Uh, I can remember very little of the first of the Second World War, uh, except that we couldn't eat white bread. Now my best two buddies when I was in primary school <coughs> had had farmers for parents, and they didn't they didn't pay any attention to the prohibition of Yanni Yanni Smuts. Um, made at the time that we weren't allowed to eat white bread, so I could eat white bread on the farms. <laughs> right. So, uh, yep, there were there were four children, and I was a large nominee. My sister was ten years older than I, and of course the others were even even more old, uh, older. Um, I I spent my primary school years in Bronkostreit, which is a little town of Wiesden, uh, 36 miles north of, uh, east of Pretoria. Uh, my high school days I spent in Krugersdorf uh, and I attended the Monument High School. After the trick in 1955, I went to Potchefstroom University and I did a BALLB. I had a state bursary, and once I qualified, the uh, Department of Justice sent me to Peter Maritzburg. And there <coughs> I joined the Attorney General's staff, and I prosecuted in the Supreme Court for three years. Then I resigned, and I joined the bar in Durban. And I spent, I have to check the simpler figures, uh, um, um, I spent 23 years as an advocate and in 1987 I was appointed to the bench in Kimberley in the Northern Cape with a seat at Kimberley and I said to the minister when he told me, asked me whether I'll accept the appointment, when he said Kimberley I said where's that? <laughs> but I knew because my mother was born in 1901 in a concentration camp, a British concentration camp in Kimberley during the Anglo-Boer War. 
And apparently there was a very, very big thunderstorm when she was born. And the little brother, I think he died in the, in the, uh, in the concentration camp. The little brother was in a, a washed basin. And he was, he was uh, sailing on a washed basin in, in the water, in the, the rainwater. Uh, right up. Then it means this, that I was at the bar for 23 years and 42 years in the legal profession. The legal profession, but by, by my stint as a judge, was undoubtedly the high point of my professional career. I enjoyed it. Um, uh, the the uh, um, the the, uh, the, the English judge said that uh, once you once you you uh, remember this here, I must I must put it properly. Um, the the, ex, the 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 tension of an advocate is gone when you're on the bench, and rather pompously he said. But the anxiety to do justice remains. What I like very much is writing my judgments. I thought that was the best part. Yeah. So that you had the uh, you had the writing background already from there. Uh, there's also one other thing that I told me two weeks ago, which I never knew in all these years. I had known you. You said that your mother wanted to be a writer. Yes, yes. Because you never mentioned that to me before. Yes, she, she, she was very keen to do that. But now, remember now this is Anglo-World War background. Uh, her parents were well-to-do farmers. And of course, the, 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 they lost everything at the war. And that proud old farmer drove the water cart in Fredador. So my mother went to school up till standard seven. Then she had to go and work. And maybe you don't know that either. She worked in a Chinese laundry. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where my father, who was an orphan, um, coming from the Eastern Cape, met her. And, and uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. So you actually do come from quite a literary background because your brother is a well-known poet and now I found out that your mother uh, wanted to be a writer as well so I suppose in the background that helped you to, to, to direct the course because how did you how did it come about that you started writing um, the Dao Van Dan from the, the Afrikaans edition of this that's from, from a judge leaping from a judge to being a writer. Right. In, the, in, the, in the 90s, whilst I was a judge in Timothy or in the Northern Cape, <coughs> I saw an advert in Utsuf. Uh, advertising uh, honours degree in modern Afrikaans literature. And I applied. And, um, and the lady who answered the phone said to me, what do you do? And I said, well, uh, I'm a judge. And she said, oh. And, and, and she said, uh, what, what languages do you have? I said, well, um, she said, no, she said, what, what, is your, what were your majors? I said, Roman law and the Roman natural. And she said, oh, again. <coughs> then she said, what languages do you have? And I said, Afrikaans one, English one, Latin one, and French one. And she said, no, that's not good enough. <laughs> Two, three weeks later, my phone rang. It was the same lady on the phone, and she said, um, "I think they didn't get enough reaction to their advert." She said, "We'll send you the list of books you have to read for this course, and uh, you must write us a review on one of them." And I picked Elsa Lubert's um, uh, uh, Isobel, and I got in, and I did my course, and then I took start talking about about uh, writing the Dao there one it was it was a part-time course and we, we attended it for two years we attended a week at a time once uh, once once every six months 
And in the last six months, Professor Nadine van Nieker said, who's interested in creative writing? And I said, I am. No. And I wrote this short, we had to write five short stories. The, 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 the one story which I wrote was the embryo and the origin of, of, of the dog. And that story was based on a letter to the agony aunt in, I think it was a sari. And the letter read something like this. Dear agony aunt, I have met this wonderful widow. I'm a widower. And I'm so old and she is seven, eight years younger than I am. And we became good friends. And she she, she, we, we went out, you know, the sort, usual sort of thing he wrote. Uh, we, we went on day trips and we went for lunch sometimes. And in the evenings, after we'd been out, I went to a flat and we had a nice cup of coffee. He said, but the last time I visited her, I asked to use her bathroom. And when I came out, there she was sitting on a couch, stark naked. <laughs> And his question was, what's wrong with her? What's in her? Right, now, that, that of course came on a lot of, lot of reconsideration. I mean, what, what, do, what do we think of sex, etc., etc., etc.? Yeah, oh, sorry. All the juicy bits are on here. Yeah. So, okay. So that was the, uh, the kernel of, of, of your writing career, and, and what happened? But that was years ago, and then okay. what happened after that? What, what, then years later, and that was well, ten years or so later, um, I met Marianne again at her inaugurational lecture and she said why don't you come and do a, a, a master's degree in creative writing and at that stage i said okay send me your requirements she sent it to me and i looked at it off but there was all these high for very difficult literary works that i had to read and I, I just didn't do anything and then later i saw her again at another occasion she said why didn't you come and i said well I didn't like to go the books I required to read. She said, well, you know, we've changed it, the course. Anyway, the course was changed. I enrolled, and um, I wrote, during the process, the, the Dao of Dao for the Law. Yeah, but you you didn't do your dissertation, did you? You didn't finish it. That's oh, well, no. <laughs> I wanted to write a book. And when we came at the end, the little obstetrics, you know, the little essay that we had to write turned into a proper dissertation. And I really didn't like doing that. And I said, um, no, thank you. I've written my book. So I, I, I haven't got the degree. And quite honestly, what do I need it for? So you had the novel, and I remember you worked, he worked very hard on it. I mean, he, it put me to shame. It embarrassed me because I was slacking off, and I'm supposed to be the writer in the family. He was every day nine to nine to six. Nine, he he was obs you were obsessed with it. Yeah, you were. And you would write something today, and then uh, the next day he would delete everything, and he would say it wasn't good enough. And this went on for years, and and you know, we worked together in the house, and then we would meet for lunch in the dining table and then he would tell me about what he's writing and I had to listen to that every day. <laughs> For five years, five years. Every day. So, you know, if where's my medal, you know? <laughs> you, you you finish it because I said God says just finish it, you know, I can't bear hearing it anymore. So you finish it and what what happened to it? Because <laughs> Well, um yeah, I finished it. <laughs> And uh, look, we, we all have different approaches to writing. But I believe, as I believe that one has to rewrite and rewrite. When I became a judge, I thought I was a bit stupid because 
my, I had to, I rewrote my, my judgment time and again. My poor, my poor secretary sometimes had to file, to type five times, spend five times retyping my judgments. And then I read Judge, Judge Denny. Now that was the judge I just quoted, but I couldn't remember his name. Judge Denning was a very, very famous English judge. And I heard, and he wrote very good judgments. And I heard he writes and rewrites and rewrites his judgments. And then I thought maybe I'm not stupid, maybe, maybe my judgments are worth something. Uh, and, and that is what I did writing the book. I rewrote and rewrote. Um, and then yeah. I, and I thought, oh, it's finished, thank God. Instead of publishing it, you put it away. Yeah. I'm thinking, you know, yeah. why? When, when the book was finished, I put it in a drawer, and that was that. I wanted to say something, and I'd said it, and that was it. I wasn't interested in publishing it. And then, one came at and he said, ah, ah. Your book has to be published. And he kept on and on and on. Well, if, if I suffered, the rest of the world was suffering. He had to listen to my, to my, my repeating my book. <coughs> I had to listen to this. I had to publish that book. Right there. So we agreed uh, to get an expert's opinion. And we approached um, um, Frederick de Jager who is a well-known uh, 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 publisher. And editor. And, and editor, he's a famous and editor. And editor, and recently a superb little novel which he wrote. And he asked me for a report. And I came, I came back, and it was quite a thick report. And he was ecstatic about the book. He really was. He said this book will will push away through Afrikaans literature. Um, and he's, yeah, and, and the end result was that we agreed, well, we have to publish that. Now, we, he's, I asked him to, 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 do the, to do the work that I didn't feel like doing, the, you know, the work what secretary does when you're a judge. And he, I said, don't, don't tell that to him. <laughs> well, uh, and I said to, I said to, 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 um, I said to Frederick, do you mind sending it to, 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 to publishers? And he did so. And publisher number one immediately accepted the book, and two weeks later wrote back and said, sorry, we can't accept the book unless the, 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 the pseudonym goes and the, the writer writes under his own name. And I said, no, so that was that. Then the other one came back, and also wrote an essay, and he said this. He said, this book is very funny. Now, I didn't know that it was supposed to be difficult to write the, uh, funny books, but apparently it is. So he said, it's very funny, and it must be made more funny. And that serious scene you have in it must get out. And you must also cut. It's too long for a funny book. So I said, no. And Frederick said, no. And that was that. Then, after a little while, we heard that this editor had left Tafelka. And there was a new editor. So we tried again. And the book was accepted without me changing a word in that book. So, the book was, the book that the Dan van Dan van der Waal was then published. Right, so if, if it's one for the prizes all, and I remember you were quite, I don't know, ambivalent about your book when it was sent out. And you said nobody's going to understand it, nobody's going to read it, nobody's going to, nobody's going to understand. Or, oh. And so, so, so now that it's won the prizes, has, has winning changed what you think of your book? Has winning the prizes changed how and what you think of your book? Has the what? The Win, winning, no, winning the prizes, has it changed? Oh, oh, um, well, one is very grateful 
the prizes when you win them. Uh, well, I suppose, I, I suppose, the book was a success, otherwise it wouldn't have got the prizes. Now, <laughs> it could also have a negative effect. You know, people think, oh, this book got a lot of prizes. It must be a very serious literature book, and it isn't. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, I, 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 you'll read, you'll read in the book when you read the book that um, Daniel says, Daniel says, um, literature. Oh, Kafka says literature should hit you on, on the front of your head like a fist. I think he was a bit hysterical. Uh, I don't want to be hit with a fist when I read a book. But I say, I say. A book, a good book, must make you ask questions. Um, now, the, 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 yes, and, and as far as the price is concerned, the, the negative thing is people may think this is a, one of those unreadable books that crack when, when it tries to smile. Um, and, and my instruction to myself was that you write this book about difficult subjects. You write it so that the ordinary reader must be able to understand, he must, he must grin or laugh sometimes, and he must cry sometimes. And that is what I do. And that, I suppose, yeah, well, um, the book won the prices. So, so, so thank you. We heard that it was studied, we studied at universities, which is a nice feather in your cap. We studied at universities, the book. Oh, 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 now, now, yes, let me tell you what, what the action is at, at, at uh, a book clubs. Almost at every book club that I spoke to, somebody said to me afterwards, I've read your book twice. Some said, I've read your book thrice. And one or two said, I've read your book three times. Four times. Now, we all know that the, the few books that we read and reread are very, very, very few indeed. So that, to my mind, was was the, what, some of the best praise I think you can give an author to tell him that I reread your books. Um, and and. Now let me see. Um, your question? Well, it's been studied at two universities, and I believe one of the one, oh, one oh, somebody oh, yes. in India wrote a master's yes. degree on it, yes. uh, uh, dissertation on it. She's somewhere yes. here now. So. Yes. Um, um, Friedrich said in, in in his review of my of uh, the opinion he gave on my book said this book will be studied at university, and that. Of course, it's also unbelievably good news because how many how many books we see and they get very good reviews and two years later you can't find them. Now, if a book is studied at university, it has all the potential of a longer life. And I heard this year that at two universities, um, the one I don't know exactly what they do with the book at Stellenbosch, it was it was the the honor students. Who, who studied the book and and Annette Duplessis wrote her master's thesis on something like aging in the book and Annette is sitting in the audience today and she wrote her doctorate not in my book on on Elsa Joubert's uh, 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 the, the, the metaphor home in Elsa Joubert's autobiographies and she told me that day before yesterday she wrote her final oral examination. She passed and give a clap to our Dr. Annette. <laughs> I, am, I am so proud of you. And she gave me a present today, the printed copy of her master's uh, uh, thesis. Now, that is very nice when people say they've read your book four times, but I would rather they tell me they bought the book four times. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's an Asian speaking. <laughs> uh, or even six times. But anyway, uh, and I, 
I said that you have to publish this in English. You have to, you have to, uh, and, uh, and, and it's not for the honorable reason you think that I, I kept pushing for you because I have a lot of friends in, in England and Malaysia and Singapore and they were very curious about this book because I've been telling them about uh, the book and they said, oh, when can we read it? When can we read it? I said, you can't because it's in Afrikaans. So that's maybe the motive that I wanted him to get it translated. You know, just, just do it. So, so I can give a copy to my mother. You know. <laughs> <laughs> now, now do you remember that story of repeating and repeating and repeating the same thing? Well, why don't you have this book translated? And it carried on and on and I said no. Anyway, in the end I capitulated and I approached Michiel Haynes and I was quite surprised, Michiel. He said yes. And he translated. He did an excellent, excellent translation. I think it's a difficult book in the sense that, that to try and get the, the essence of Daniel, I think it's very difficult. But you, you know, I don't know whether you've seen this. We say, they say here that there's no character, there's no other character like Daniel von der Gold, and there's no other novel like Daniel. But Machil managed to grab that character and portray it the way I wanted to, to, to what, the way I tried to portray it. So Machil is also here. Thank you, Machil. So once you, you once Mikhail translated the book, there was uh, what what happened? What what, what was the next step? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, you left it out. What was the next step? You had to well, you had to approach the publishers again, right? You had to uh, you had to tell them you were this. Oh translated. no! So, yes, for the whole publishing process, Etienne Blumhoff liked the book very much. And he became the editor and the person who was involved in, in, in getting this book published by Tafel Death again. And, uh, and that is where Adam Almari. That is where Almari came in because the, the Hinsla Trust, of which she is one of the trustees, donated a sum of money to the publisher to publish the book. So, um, yes, thank you very much, Elmari. Right, so that was it. Okay, so now you're a full-fledged writer of uh, two books, in a way. I'm just, you, you're always telling me about the power of words. It's always going on, that, oh, you have to choose the right word for everything. Uh, he, he's my first reader of all my manuscripts. He's the first one who reads it. And he's the first one to say how, how, how awful they are. <laughs> this is, this is awful. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. So, now, the power of language. When did you realize, what was your first experience when you realized that words and language have, have a power? Are you ready for a sad story? You know, no. but Shakespeare said, "If you have tears, if you have tears, prepare to shed them not." <laughs> In he said, "Clothes nine." <laughs> <laughs> In seven nine, I started a school uh, 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 magazine. I just started one, and of course, there was no teacher uh, involved at all. And in one of the Sunday papers, um, there was an article, which was very unusual at the time, lampooning. That's the word I like. Lampooning. Lampooning. Lampooning teachers. And I thought, this is a marvelous idea, because I've got something to, I had something to say about our teachers. <laughs> so I wrote an article lampooning our teachers. <laughs> now, you know, this was 1954. Teaching was an honorable profession. Grown-ups 
did not criticize the teachers. Leave alone a standard nine, 15 year old standard nine boy. The end result of all this was that I got one or two millimeters from being kicked out of school. And the headmaster said to me, the headmaster said to me, if I could, I would have expelled him. But I think he realized that some of my lampooning was quite true. Because the maths teacher put work on the on the on the blackboard and then he went and he sat outside on the steps in front of the in front of the classroom baking in the sun. <laughs> I nicknamed him Bingani. And he also knew that I was quite right that the science teacher and the other math teacher were both mad. <laughs> so that's what you learned there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I learned in the process. Right there. I was ignored in class. Um, nobody, I, I said good morning to the teachers, they didn't reply. So I was ostracized. And <clears throat> during this period, which was a very upsetting thing, um, my Afrikaans teacher, Young Nell, said to me one day, um, can, can you come to my house please and help me with some woodwork? And I said, oh sure. So I went to his house for a few afternoons and the two of us did woodwork. And he never mentioned the, the, the lampooning. And that taught me a lesson. And the first lesson it taught me was unless you have power, you are powerless. So shut up. <laughs> the other lesson he taught me, the question whether or not, and this is very much part of, of the Tao, is an apology good enough? If he had said to me, look, I'm sorry about all this that's happened. Yeah, it's okay. But his act of calling the black sheep in the school and letting just work in his in his letting just work in his workshop meant an immense amount to me. And and the answer was that an apology in a way it was an apology on his part to say, you know, we're sorry that this has now happened after your stupidity. And that that and, uh, uh, an apology is not good enough. And I asked the question in, in the book, especially in regard to the Kamakazi flyers. You know the Kamakazis? They flew youngsters. Youngsters, they were 18, 19, 20. Right at the end of the, of the, of the, of the Second World War. And Japan was losing, and it was more or less a, a fact that Japan had lost the war, and it was just before the, the atom bombs fell, that they were given little, quickly constructed little airplanes with a bomb attached to it, and they had to fly into Allied ships. So it was a suicide thing. And we read in the book the apology of the admiral who sent them on their death flights and what else he did. So, uh, right. Well, so it, it, you're talking about apology and uh, atonement, in a way, acts of atonement. Uh, in, in your book, your main character, Daniel, uh, has had not been very nice to his wife, so, and the wife has, has died. So how, how does he go about uh, apologizing and, and atoning for how, the way he treated her when she was alive? Okay. Okay. What Dan says right at the beginning of the of the book, he says to Kaspars, his dead dog, he says, I must write her a letter in heaven, saying to her that I really loved her. Now when you read the first letter, in which he's supposed to say that, he doesn't say that. And 
so it carries on. Okay, now, yes, do you want more on that? Oh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> they can find out themselves and divide the book multiple copies. Okay, we, we talked about that. I, I think we're going to be run short of time if I do all my questions. I'm going to skip a few questions. Now, the title of your novel, it, it, it's, I found it quite interesting and, and quite well, interesting to me, but I knew it would be quite alien to many readers in South Africa. So the fact that you chose the Tao, um, you know, it, it would, it, it's puzzling to a lot of potential readers. So can you, can you explain the meaning to, to the reader and how does it relate to your novel? Okay. When, 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 when uh, Daniel arrives in, in, in China, his son tells him, he's a, a strange son, he tells him what he's done there, and Aldan got uh, a, a, an attack of vertigo when everything tumbles, and he was put into, or his son took him to a, 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 a monastery. monastery, a Buddhist monastery, and Master Yang had to teach him Tai Chi. Now, Tai Chi is this very slow movements that you make. It's martial arts, every movement, if I do that, my, my fingers go into somebody's eye. Now, the purpose of Tai Chi is to train your balance, physically. But Tai Chi, as I said, originated in Taoism. Tao, Taoism. And Tao, the, if you translate the word, literally means way, road away. So it is, Tao is launched in England and in, in China on another way of life. And it's concerned with balance and it is concerned with softness overcome hardness. The Kung Fu guys are the ones who, who, who fight it out. The Tai Chi people do it very, very slowly, the movements, and they work with Qi. And Qi is said by the, by the Chinese to sit four fingers below your belly button, and that is the, the center of your Qi. Now, uh, quite honestly, we don't, we Westerners don't understand the concept of Qi. The Easterners don't either, so <laughs> <laughs> the Asians don't either. I, okay. But I can tell you that, I, I attended a, a series of lectures where there was a very guy from England, and he, he was always called for these masters to show the various things, and they pushed him around all sorts of things. And the next day, he said to me, you know, I was sure calling master, whatever his name was, did not touch me, but he must have touched me because my chest is sore. And I said to him, he didn't. All he did was that. Now, chi is supposed to be that energy, and they maintain that chi can actually kill somebody if you use your chi. Uh, I heard a discussion between two masters on how to control your chi so that you don't kill somebody else. So, <coughs> yeah, and chi is even more lethal if you've been eating beans. Right. <laughs> the Tao is this, the way of which, uh, uh, and, and the important thing is that softness overcomes hardness, like water. Water plays a very big role in this book. Water can wear away a rock, but it's soft. And that is, that is the idea of your, the walk on the way of the Tao. That your life must become one of softness. Now, one of the reasons uh, I kept pushing you to have this book published was because of the setting. And they, they, they set in China and the, the themes are all very Asian. So one, that was one of them because I felt it was very unusual in, in South African publishing. So. Now we have to ask, why did you choose China? And, and what was it in China that made you decide to use that as a setting? And, and its, its history, its political systems, 
it's culture, you put everything in there. So why why that? Because it's it's not an easy task to to take on. Because I can. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> you, see, you see, I met him in nineteen ninety-nine. And he is a Malaysian Chinese. Don't call him a mainland Chinese. He gets very upset about that. He's a Malaysian Chinese. And of course he introduced me to the to Asia. I, I, I never had any interest in, 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 in Asia. I thought that my mother working for, for a Chinese story. But, 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 but I, no, no, I'll keep this much shorter than, than, than what I was going to say about this. Um, I wanted to write certain things that I learned in China. And when I submitted my, 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 my submission of what my book is going to be about for the for the uh, uh, MA degree, I said, I want to write about the brother of Jesus, the son, the, 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 the Chinese son of God. Hmm? Any of you heard about that? Well, there you are, you see? So, that was completely new. Okay, and at the other at the other side was the, at that stage when I wrote the book, there was no serious literary books about China. It was completely new. When it was published in eighteen Etienne van Yerden's book about the Chinese man, it was published shortly before this one, and he subsequently did. But yeah. Okay. So what is it about China that you that first that wanted you to spend? You know, he, he did a lot of research. I would say. He, yeah. He acquired, I would say, probably one of the most extensive private libraries on China and Asia. In his, in, name any book that he, he put it on his shelf. So, and he read through all of that. So, well, why, what was it? Uh, well, one of the other things I said there was that I wanted to write about the Cultural Revolution. Now, the Cultural Revolution was Mao Zedong, their great hero, it was his brainchild. And at the time when I read the book, that was when we had all the student unrest here. And the Cultural Revolution, which is in the book, uh, I'll discuss in the book, was Mao Zedong saying to the youngsters, take over, break all your traditions, break things like Tai Chi wasn't allowed. Break your history. We are revolutionaries. And a revolutionary can do no wrong. Yeah. You heard that not, not, not so long ago. A revolutionary can do no wrong. Of the older people who was, 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 was treated terribly by these youngsters, today if you read books not published in China, published in, used to be published in Hong Kong, <coughs> now published outside, they, they are bitter about the fact that people who murdered, kids who murdered their, their, their relatives, their family, their fathers, their mothers, was never charged. A revolutionary can do no wrong. So that was another thing. And Qing Ming. Qing Ming is, is, is now, Dan speaks to his dead dog and his dead wife. Qing Ming is a festival where the, 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 the sun must show his filial piety, filial filius is the Latin word for son, piety, you know, is whatever, whatever it is. You must show that respect for your father, and they do it once a year, and at that ritual, they take food to the, they, first of all, they clean the graves. Then they take food to the, and they feed the dead, the dead, and the, the spirits of the dead. Of course, afterwards they eat it themselves. <coughs> if you don't do that, the spirits will get angry and your, your fortune will change. So there's quite, quite a bit of, of logic in it. Anyway, <coughs> and then what they do is they give presents to their fathers. You know, mom and dad, oh Christ, you know, I think we should buy them some new iPhones. And, and what about the new motor car? You know, a, a, a Mercedes. Oh, in the underworld, they could travel in a new Mercedes. So they do. And masses of money. All this stuff is made of paper. 
and it's all burnt there. Sacrifice, prostration and sacrifice is one of the main themes that runs through this book. Now, okay, they're, they're, uh, the, these people, their, their, their history, their culture goes back 6,000 years. They're a fascinating lot of people if you start reading their history. Well, I mean, in, I, I had to read the book, the English one, many times as well to check for typos, to help check for typos before they finalize. And one of my favorite characters actually is not Dan or any of it, it's actually the uh, Yo Mei from the Merva, it's a Chinese woman that he, he created. So can you talk a bit about her? Because she she's quite colorful and um, reminds me of a few women I know in Asia, so we'll get to that afterwards. Right Yo Mei van der Merva. Look, all these things I've now just told you, the things that fascinated me, how the Dickens do I get it into my book? I have to have a character, and I have to have a reason for getting Don or Daniel to go to China. So I decided on this woman, who married an African, she called it an Afrikaner, and I said, wow, you know, that's, that's an unusual word to use. And, and, and uh, yeah, and you're quite right, I, I love, I, I, I'm very fond of your name, because uh, she gave the Daniel a run for his money. She really did. Because she challenged with telling this, these stories to him more than anything, everything that old Daniel believed in. And every time he had to think of a reason, what, what, how, how do I counter this? Uh, yeah, and in the, in the, in the end, yeah, she became a very important character. She, she uh, you read very early that she fled during she fled China during the Cultural Revolution. So there's a, a the whole story why she fled. Uh, yeah. So yeah, because your name reminds me of a lot of women uh, I've seen in Penang where I was born. When you go back there, uh, a lot of these local Chinese women, they married um, Europeans or Englishmen. And you see them in restaurants, you know, when you go and eat, and uh, Luce, Luce and Harry will know if they've been to Penang. So, and you always know who's in charge of the marriage the moment they walk in. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, you yes. always know. Yes. And your mate is like that. It's like, oh, that's, that's, that's fun to read. Yeah. Yes. yes, I know all about that, you know. I've been living with him for 23 years. <laughs> <laughs> I will ask you one, one, one last question and then we'll open it up to, to the audience to, to, to please ask him all the difficult questions. <laughs> right, most challenging sections of the book to write. Okay. Um, Just name one. <laughs> okay. The, the death of Kaspar. Um, yeah. It, I, I had a Doberman. That's why that was. That's well, I had more than one Doberman. But but in my very lonely years, I I had a Doberman, and yeah, I talked to him, and I know exactly what it feels like when you hold your dog in your arms. This is not in the book. When you hold your dog in your arms and it, the, the, the vet takes the paw and it pushes the needle, it pushes the needle into the paw and you see your dog's eyes and then they close. Yeah, I want to cry again. So, so that scene yeah, wrenched my heart. Okay, one last, last question. Okay, you, you at the book translated now, and this question actually was from your Pilates instructor, uh, Baptiste, but I, told, I stole the question from you, Baptiste. You've, you've read the translation now. Um, has it made you look at your book in a different way, having having read the translation? Yes. Ah, good, good, good uh, question. question. Thank you very much. Very good question. At, at least I had time to think about it. Uh, right. The reaction I got at, at, at uh, book clubs, was that people, yeah, I told you that, I told you that. So, um, yeah, right, oh, um, your, your question is? Well, has, has it made you look at your book in a different yes, way, having read yes, the English yes, version? Yes, now. yes. I saw, I, I noticed by the rereading of the, of the book in English, I saw how I used, I saw more than I ever realized it, how I used repetition in the book. That, 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 and if you're going to ask me what is the main theme in the book, I've discovered that I think the main theme is love. 
Love in its various forms. The love of a father for his son, the love of the man for his dog, the dog's love for the man. That sort of thing. But isn't it said a man love for a man for his wife? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say that. Uh, 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 now, now, that is what the book is all about because Don is suffering to tell his wife that. So that is, that is, that is the, the basis of the book. But to get there, um, 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 what was I saying? I say now the first thing, oh, the repetition. The repetition. Now, if you look at the repetition, if you look at the moon, the moon, the word moon appears about about 30 times in the book. Now, the moon is the residence you read in the book of the Chinese goddess of love. <coughs> so, there, there I start tying up the moon. The moon, the book ends with with, with, with the song, the moon represents my heart. I saw that incredible ballet, uh, Moon Water, where at the end, the water, you, you'll read about the book, the water rushes over the stage, and it all, go, it all goes dark, and it's unaccompanied uh, 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 Bach, Bach cello music, if you listen, and it, it's absolutely fascinating. You can Google that. You will only see very little bits but it is Tai Chi inspired. Those people spend an hour in the mornings doing just Tai Chi, tai chi and the, 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 the ballet dancers. And, and, and so, if you follow the path of the moon, it starts as a clump water, as a lump of butter above the, above the churchyard. The, 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 uh, what's the little word for churchyard? Anyway, the book ends also again at the churchyard and the moon is there again. So the repetition I realized when I worked through it, how it ties together the beginning of the book with the end. Right. I think that's, uh, you want to say any more? No, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so please, uh, please ask him the most difficult questions you can take off. Let's uh, see him squirm a bit. And, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll pass this around and then please do, please do ask me. I think I asked you already, are you planning another book? Baptiste is the only man in this room, and his wife knows the story. Uh, who danced with Nureyev, the one and only Nureyev, when he was eight years old. And he said, no, Nureyev was over his best. You didn't answer the question. Yeah, now, now your question. Now, if you're my age, and you have to decide how you spend your last few days, months, years, are you going to spend your time doing all the hard work of writing another book? Or are you going to do what I find more fascinating, more and more, watching the little things? You know, in the book you'll, you'll read that the Japanese, and for that matter, the, the master of this book, moves into a, moves into a, a, a cave. Or they move into a little house. They cut off all their ties with the outside world to prepare for death. The Japanese go further. They write a death poem. And if you read those death poems, they are about the most simple little things that fascinate people in their old age when, I suppose you know, the end is near. Writer. Now, that's one side of it. I'm working on two things, but whether, whether, whether or not, I'll finish them, I just simply don't know. Sorry, why did you insist on using a pseudonym? Oh, oh, the pseudonym thing. Well, very much the same thing that I just talked about. 
as an advocate and as a, as a, as a judge, you you in the public eye all the time. And you know how absolutely wonderful it was when I retired and nobody knew me, and especially when I started going to, 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 to Asia, you're a, you're, a, you're a complete non-entity and it suited me down to the ground. And as we know, <laughs> as we, people always laugh when I say this, but what I'm doing at the moment is what I didn't want to do. <laughs> so, yes, yes, privacy, my privacy is, is, is terribly important to me. And, um, yeah, I knew, I knew, if, well, I didn't know the book was going to win prizes. That was another story. But um, I thought I could get away with getting the thing published. And well, <laughs> you, you saw what I had to go through over the years. Well, I saw, I saw, yes, yes, I had first-hand experience. I mean, thanks to him, I saw Australia, I went to Bali, I went to, where else? All sorts of places. Shanghai, uh, Estonia, oh, Estonia was the strangest place. Estonia, of all places, huh? Estonia, I didn't even know what to think, what, where, where it was, I had to look up. Estland, Estland in Afrikaans. That's with an E, not an A. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, that's, yeah, he saw, he saw that, that yeah. he said, oh, yes. I mean, he just, uh, no, I'm not doing that. So. No, that <laughs> was very much with attitude, you know, he, yes, well, very nice, but it was, it was, how many festivals does he do? Um, in, in, in Australia, for instance, I walked around, you know, I, you know, yeah, very, I, very nice. You know, whenever I get an invitation to a literary festival, the first question he would ask is, do I get a ticket as well? To <laughs> ask, them, ask them for a ticket. Like, no! Asking them for a ticket. You pay for your own ticket. <laughs> now you must tell the rest of the story. Now every time he gets an invitation, I said, you go. I oh. said, oh. That is also very really true. I don't think I've, I've got the energy to travel anymore. Were you already interested in China before you met Swan? Were you, were, you, were you already interested in China before no. you met yeah. No, I had no interest. You know, at that time, all my colleagues, uh, uh, that's before I became a judge, they all went to Hong Kong for a weekend shopping. And I thought they were silly. Anyway, uh, no, I had absolutely, you know, I lied. Now, see, see, see how easy it is to lie. I read in standard 9 or 10, I read The Good Earth. Yeah. Uh, Pearl, Pearl Buck. Pearl Buck, I think she got the, the, the mm -hmm. Nobel Prize. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's, it's still worthwhile reading. It describes the lives of, of peasants. But, but, yeah, I read that. And, and another one that I tried to read, and I think I did read it, was Lin Yutang, The Importance of Living. Of the importance of living, and I didn't. Um, now I tried to read. I couldn't understand what it was about. So what I did instead of that, the trick I don't know. <laughs> I actually memorized a portion. Lampooning teachers. Lampooning teachers. Not that one. <laughs> yeah. So it was. It was. He opened a completely new world for me. Um, yes, fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs>